You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Today we're in week two of a three-week series that we've entitled Love Like Jesus. Now, last week I pointed out that Jesus, in showing love to people, did some very unusual things. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, you've heard the, how many of you are familiar with the book Love Languages? Okay, it was, Jesus was not in, in like gift giving or quality time. I mean, he may have been quality time, I don't know. But, but one of the things that he did, we looked at last week, is that he washed people's feet. I mean, who, that's just kind of odd. And we talked about that because we don't have a cultural context for that. But that was one of the things he did. Very practical and yet a very profound way of showing that he cared about people by washing the feet of his disciples. Today we're going to see that Jesus liked to eat meals with society's outcasts. Another unusual way of connecting with people. Very simple and yet very profound. <clears throat> you know, the idea of gathering together to eat is a very common concept in the Bible. Sometimes it's portrayed through the image of breaking bread. We'll see that quite often in the New Testament where they broke bread together. What they're saying is they shared a meal. They ate together. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus broke bread as part of the Last Supper. It's where he established the sacrament of communion for us. In Acts chapter 2, the early church broke bread as part of their fellowship, something they did often, meeting from house to house, breaking bread and sharing life together. Sometimes when we're talking about the idea of sharing a meal, it, we, it's through the image of a table. In the Old Testament, we see that more often than, than not. In Exodus 25, a table represents the table um, the, where the, uh, the bread of presence. And so on this table was the bread of presence, which re- literally represented God's presence um, in, in the tabernacle. In Psalm 23, the most famous prayer ever written, David speaks of God preparing a table before us. So this idea of a table, a food, a meal, is very prominent within scriptures. In the Gospels, we frequently find Jesus sitting around a table, teaching and sharing life with his followers. That's what he did. In fact, we tend to think of food as a function of biology. You know, we need to do it, we need to eat as to survive. This morning, I want to propose a question. Is it possible? Is it possible that gathering together to eat is necessary, not just to our biological self, but also to our social and spiritual well-being? Luke chapter 5 has an encounter uh, with Jesus. Um, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, as we uh, come to this point in time where we uh, uh, take a closer look at your word and what your scripture teaches us about life, teaches us about you, teaches us about ourselves, how we relate with one another. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be very present, uh, would speak to us, Lord God. Lord, that we would hear what we would need to hear. 
And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The table played a very central role in the life of Jesus. This idea of food, of sharing meals together. His first miracle turned water into wine. Where was it? A wedding feast. Okay, it wasn't a wedding ceremony. It was the reception. It was the feast afterwards. Of the 23 parables in Luke, 15 of them feature food. 63%, 65%. Some of his most famous miracles revolved around food. What did he do with the 5,000? He fed them. Okay. He was accused by religious leaders of being a partier. In Matthew, it says, the son of man came eating. This is what they accused him of, and he's, he's re- responding back. You accuse me, the son of man, of coming and eating and drinking. And they say, you accuse me of being a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So that was his reputation by the religious people. That This is what he did. He just sat around and ate and drank with everybody. Not just everybody, just the bad people. One, again, as I already mentioned, one of the last things he did before his death was to break bread, to share a meal with his disciples. It's where we get the institution, the, 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 the rite of communion. Around the table is where Jesus showed love and acceptance for all people. In Luke chapter 14, he says this. He says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. He's contrasting that because human nature was to invite the rich, the wealthy, the powerful, the popular, the easily liked, socially acceptable people that could actually help you. And he says, no, no, no. When you have a dinner, invite these folk. In Luke chapter 15, he says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This was, what, this was Jesus' reputation. Not just that he walked around and had good things to say, but that he shared life with and shared meals with social outcasts and sinners. When you look at the life and ministry of Jesus through the lens of food, one gets the sense that there might be something more to this idea of food than just physical sustenance. Is it possible that something good happens to us when we break bread with one another. So, if that's the case, where are the best places to eat? One, called setting the table at home. In Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's been some empirical research studies over the past 20 years with with regard to frequent family meals. So let's hear this. So with regard to frequent family meals, these show that when when we do this, it's the number one factor for parents raising kids who are drug-free, healthy, intelligent, and kind. So these are studies I can actually show you and say, I mean, this, is actual, this isn't just somebody pulling something out of a hat. They've actually done empirical studies and can verify that this, there is a correlation between frequent family meals and raising kids 
in this regard. It's the number one shaper of vocabulary in younger children, even more than any other family event, including playing, frequent family meals. It's the number one predictor of future academic success for elementary age kids. It's one of the best safeguards against childhood obesity. Frequent family meals are the best prescription to prevent eating disorders among adolescent girls. And it's the variable most associated with lower incidence of depressive and suicidal thoughts among 11 to 18 year olds. Just sitting down, eating and sharing a meal together. Um, I don't know about you, but for me growing up um, in my family, meals were business. I mean, you, you ate and you were done, you know, and so there was dinner might last 10 minutes and you ate and again, we're gone. I met Betsy and uh, she took me home for the, you know, for the first time to meet her family. And, and she, I don't know, had you ever been to my house by that time? So she kind of experienced my family life. And, she's, and so, so I got, I got a talk. You know, before, we, okay, you need to understand something here. My dinner with my family is a little different. We linger. Like, really? Yeah, we sit and talk. Really? What do you talk about? Whatever. Really? I, and it was, it, was, it, was, it was fascinating. They sat and talked, and everyone's asking questions, range from what did you do today to politics to it was all over the map. But dinner, whenever I had with her, with her family, dinner rarely, I don't know that it ever was less than an hour. Because everyone, the meal was done. Everyone just kind of pushed their place back and sat back and had a cup of coffee or drank milk or whatever it was and talked. I'd never experienced anything like that before. But it was the coolest thing because you walk away from there feeling like you had actually encountered somebody. You, you, you knew them better. And... And I understand the statistics. I mean, having experienced it, I understand what that's like. And we tried to do that with our kids, but when they're little, they're not, they're not let's be honest, all right? You, you know, those of you who have young kids, they're not going to sit around the table wanting to talk for, and, and so I get that. So uh, obviously my experience with the kids were old at this point in time, but the idea here was that there was an intentionality about sitting around the table and saying, what was the best part of your day? Or what did you learn in school today? Or how was work? Um, Betsy would tell me that one of the questions, that even as a little girl, she'd always ask her dad, what did you have for lunch today? Because he always went out for lunch and always had the most interesting things on the menu. And that was just kind of her routine. And that's kind of what they did. And, but it created this opportunity for conversations. Because, you know, what did you have for lunch today led to, what do you dream about? What do you want to do when you grow up? And you plant ideas and you plant seeds in. And so obviously that happens within a family dynamic. But even within other different contexts, it allows us to engage at a level that can be very significant. Now, remember this. Jesus was single. Okay? He didn't have a wife and kids. And so he, he, he you know, when we talk about sharing a meal together, and Jesus is our model, it, this idea of a family meal is very broad. Okay, so he didn't have wife and kids. And and so if you're single or a single parent or so it's just who is the idea of just sharing with somebody. It's you're connecting with somebody. Each of us need to feel connected. Kids need to be connected to their family, parents, to their kids, adults with one another, friends with their friends. 
Why do people go to bars to, um, to drink and meet people? They want to feel connected. It's just this, the opportunity to connect with other people. So I'd suggest that the manner in which we eat our meals is a reflection of values. The idea of choosing to spend time together at least several times a week around a table when you can connect together, talk together, bond together, and share food together, choosing relationships over isolation. The meal isn't the ends. In fact, Jesus talks about with Mary and Martha. Remember that whole story where, um, I always get these mixed up. Who was making the dinner? Martha was making the dinner, and Mary was the one sitting and engaging Jesus. Martha's all upset, why aren't you helping me with the meal? Jesus says, hey, she's okay. Um, she needs, she's doing what she needs to be doing right now. And it's not that what Martha was doing was wrong. It was very appropriate and necessary if they were going to eat, okay? But it was just, it created that dynamic of, of being together, of sharing life together. There was a value there that Jesus was wanting them to, rep, to understand, is that there's sometimes to connect is more important than anything else. So who you're with isn't always the most important thing. I mean, it can be with friends, it can be with family. What you're eating is not that important. It can be fast food. It can be something that you spent hours preparing. It's the idea of us sitting around the table and connecting, valuing relationships more so than anything else. So we can set, uh, one of the places to eat then is setting table at the home. Another one is setting the table at church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. This is Paul talking here to the, the people in Corinth. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We set the table at church in two different ways. One is what we've just read is this idea of communion. It's where the diverse body of Christ joins together. Think about that. You've got rich and poor. Women and men. You've got slave and free. Red, yellow, black and white. Everyone is together around this common meal. Everyone, all are gathered around together. It's the one thing that unites all of us as Christ followers. Everyone who has given their life to Jesus is welcome. Everyone. It's one of the areas where we, Protestants, would disagree with the the Catholic denomination or the Catholic uh, faith. For them, salvation comes um, through your relationship to the church. That's why you can't take communion if you're not a member or baptized into the church. We would say, no, 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 salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered and given your life to Jesus, you're in, you're good, you're part of this family. And when we celebrate communion together, you're part of that and you're free to celebrate that with us. Everyone is welcome to participate. So communion is one of the ways where we set the table at church. 
The other is this area of community where gathering together becomes a sacred event. You've heard me say that frequently, that when Christ followers gather together, something sacred occurs. Whether it's here at a worship service, whether it's at something out in your home, or even at a Charlotte Hornets basketball game. Something special happens when we gather together. Um, you'll notice uh, some of you, um, if you've gone to other churches, a lot of churches have this, you know, the greeting time, you know, either after worship. For, for many churches, though, it's a transition. Hey, before you sit down, greet someone around you, and literally it lasts seconds. Uh, and the person next prints up there right away. And so it, it, it's used primarily just as a, tra- as a transition from one thing to the next. Um, we give you lots of time, don't we? And so it's intentional for us. It's strategic time for us because this idea of community. And, and notice we say, don't greet someone next to you. We say, find someone you don't know and introduce yourself. Or find someone you don't know well and get to know them better. There's an intentionality about wanting to connect relationally and wanting to connect with other people. Um, and so um, take time with that. So don't be in a hurry. Some of you, I realize, yeah, I don't like talking to people. I don't like talking to people I don't know. Get over it. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, I really, for some of you, that, that, that's, uh, I, I say that jokingly, but it is so important for you to be able to connect with people and, it's, and just to get to know somebody and find out about them. Uh, Betsy and I, at one point in time, uh, we were in a, a life transition, and so we were at a, visiting a church. Actually, not we are attending a church. We had attended the church for almost a year. No one ever asked me my name. Every Sunday they said, hey, greet those people around you. And everyone, hey, glad you're here. And they just, they're on the next, and literally it was, like they barely touched, you know, as they shook hand and kept going to the next person. And for almost a year, I was just like, wait, no one's even asked me who, what my name is. No one knows. And so for me, that just struck me as odd. I don't want anyone to ever come into our place and have that experience. In fact, I'm okay if it's just the opposite. It's like, dude, your people are just crazy. They won't leave, you know, everyone's introducing themselves. And I'd rather have that than I came in and no one noticed I was here. Uh, to me, that would, be, that would be a travesty. That would be terrible. The other way we find community here is within groups. <clears throat> Paul uh, mentioned a couple of here just earlier. Life groups at different stages. We have men's groups and women's groups. Um, I know Aaron and Raquel, their life group actually went to a, uh, a Charlotte Hornets ba- uh, basketball game Thursday night. Um, and so fun things, sharing life together, eating meals together. A lot of our, the men's breakfast on Saturday mornings, the fourth Saturday morning, begins with a meal. We walk across the parking lot. We meet actually over there at the, at the Greenbrier Cafe, share a meal together, tell lots of stories, and then we come over here and, and have, have a time just to talk and share. Um, groups is where we share life together, often around a meal. Many of the life group that Betsy and I are part of begins at 6 o'clock with a meal dinner. Everyone, everyone brings, the host family provides the main course. Everyone brings all the, the side dishes. And then we usually start the, the meeting portion of it um, about an hour later. Today, the fact that we have an indoor picnic is not an accident. Okay. It was because uh, within our, I'd like to do it probably like once a quarter. 
And so we should have had it last month, but I said, no, 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 I know this sermon's coming up. Hold on to it. We're going we're to practice this idea of actually breaking bread together, sharing a meal together today after church. And, and let, me, let me reemphasize what Paul said. If you're here today, um, any of this, your first, you're visiting and you didn't know about it, um, it's a free meal. You can stay, okay? So you don't need to go get lunch. You can stay. And there is always, there's plenty. Um, or you hear, say, oh, man, I forgot. No one knows, okay? So just <laughs> pretend like you're, you're like, that's your salad that's there, you know? So it's okay. Um, it's, it's, it's all good. So there'll be plenty. So connect. Find people that, that uh, um, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think when I, let me say it now. One of the things where I'm, I'm, you have a homework at your table. It's like, really? So when you get out there, you're, sharing, you're, you're talking to people, you're sharing a meal. I want you to be able to find a person or people you're next to, named or names, um, where, they, where they grew up and something interesting about them. Okay? And so do that when you're eating. Afterwards, you know, a little bit later, I think I'm going to actually ask some of you to introduce your people. Okay, so it's very simple name where they grew up and something interesting about them so that you then can introduce this person to the rest of the group. So don't worry if you don't like talking with microphones. I won't force you to do that. Maybe we'll see. (laughs) Setting the table at church, communion, community, two different ways that we see that expressed here. Lastly, this idea of setting the table in the world. In Luke chapter five. I think we see this verse. Yes. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We love our neighbors when we share a table with them, when we bless and break bread together. Why do you think Jesus ate so many meals with sinners and social outcasts? Really, it's just a great way to show respect and value to people, isn't it? Just to value them, just so that you matter. It's just something so practical. I mean, it's so necessary for life. It's, it's not like we have to go out and create something unusual and foreign. It's just sharing a meal together, something so simple, and yet so profoundly significant for those who are participating in it. Um, there's a story. Uh, some of you uh, heard of uh, Ray and Joan Kroc, McDonald's franchise. Uh, when uh, she passed away in 2003, um, one of the last things she did with her money was give it away. Um, billions. She gave at the time was the largest one-time gift. She gave $1.5 billion to the Salvation Army. $1.5 billion to the Salvation Army. The story I've heard um, or that I understand as to why is because up until then she really had not much connection with them. But apparently when she was a little girl, her family struggled. And quite frequently someone from the Salvation Army and her community would swing by on a Sunday night and bring a meal to them. And from the time she remembered what that impact that had about a meal and how much that meant to her family. 65 years later, she gives the Salvation Army $1.5 billion to use for their work and for their ongoing ministry. Which leads me to this. 
we may never know the ultimate outcome of breaking bread with others. We trust God to take care of what we've planted and sown to bring in a harvest. So that illustration I just gave you certainly has a practical financial implication. How many of you have been impacted your life because of a meal you shared? Now, you may not even remember the meal, but you remember the conversation. You remember the fact that that person sowed a seed of idea, thought, a dream, encouragement, something that just changed the way you approached your life. The meal becomes the means to an end. It isn't the end in and of itself. And so this idea of inviting people, one of the things that uh, we did at our house, we haven't had the opportunity yet because the weather's been really bad, but is that our, our neighbors will invite them over for just, just grilling hot dogs. Bring your own beer if you want to drink beer. Um, I've just, it's just not my thing. And so they do, and we sit on our deck and talk and tell stories and get to know each other. I mean, our previous house, it was interesting because um, as, as white um, couples, we were a minority in our, in our neighborhood. Um, African-Americans on both sides, we had an Indian couple across the street, um, Hispanic couple, uh, two houses over. You know, and so it, it was just fascinating when you sit down on the back deck, all these diverse backgrounds, none of them were people of faith. And so we're talking and sharing stuff, and, and it just changes how you feel about your neighborhood. And to this day, I have no idea if there's been any life-changing impact on those. It wasn't like, hey, I got to pray with any of them to, to receive Jesus. But who knows? I don't know what... Remember we talked before about that sometimes we think of evangelism as just this, we have to close the deal, we have to make the sale. But yet this process to following Jesus is that actually that a process... And research has shown that it's usually five to six significant conversations that occur in a person's life before they make that final decision to follow Jesus. Maybe I was, in some of those conversations, I'm just person number three, or even person number two, and someone else after me is going to continue that conversation. But because of the seed wheat was planted here, God was able to use that and water that. And so whatever your opportunities are, I know sometimes my sons talk about going out to um, work with one of their colleagues. One in particular said, yeah, I really don't really like the guy. You know, um, but he invited me, and I just feel like I need to go. And so we had this conversation. It's like you don't know what that will mean later on for him, what seeds will be sown. So look at it that way. You know, so, yeah, it's okay that it doesn't help your reputation. It's okay that it may not further your career. Can you actually help him? Can you look at it that way? Because you just don't know. And that's what sometimes we need to set the table for the world. That when we're doing that, we're playing host. And remember, as host, we also host the Holy Spirit within us. And the power of God and the presence of God is with us when we do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much for uh, just this opportunity to um, look at this word and, and, and look at this idea of food and meals and, and what Jesus, how he used those meals for his purposes. Those were a means to an end. It allowed him to engage and connect with people in ways he couldn't have done otherwise. These, couldn't, these conversations couldn't come out of um, just uh, lectures or being within the, the temple. Only around the table, some of his most profound teachings came around the table. Thank you for, Lord, God, just the, the opportunity for us to explore that a bit. Uh, Lord, as we're about to uh, um, share a meal together here, I just thank you for this opportunity. 
Lord, may there be community. May there be a sense of your presence amongst us, we pray. Lord, that uh, you would continue to do the work in us and through us that you desire to do. So, Father, we continue to commit ourselves to your purposes. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.